Hebrews 9, 1 through 15. We'll read and then we'll get into the lesson. They say if you can preach to the Day of Atonement crowd, you can preach to anybody, right? <laughs> we'll start a 27-part series today. <laughs> Hebrews 9, verse 1. Now the first covenant also had regulations for ministry in an earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loaves. Behind the curtain, behind the second curtain, the tabernacle was called the most holy place. It contained the gold altar of incense and the ark of the covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which there was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tables of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above it, overshadowing the mercy seat, or the mercy lid. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. With these things set up this way, the priests enter the first room repeatedly, performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and he does that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food and drink and various washings imposed until the time of restoration. But the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to the Almighty, Cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living Almighty. Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts. Today is the day of atonement or the day of covering which is what the Hebrew word Kippur means, Yom Kippur. It's a special day on Yahweh's calendar. It's a day of recollection of the law, of sin, of blood sacrifice, of mercy, of covering over our sin, and of salvation. Yahweh gave His law. And it's a perfect law because it comes from Yahweh, who is perfect. He commands the Israelites, keep my law. And the Israelites respond in Exodus 19 and in Exodus 24, all that you have spoken, we will do. 
Yet, the Israelites break Yahweh's law over and over and over again. And this is us. We say that we ought to do this and we ought to do that, and we ought to. And we have good intentions at times, but we fail to keep Yahweh's law. We need to have a high view of the law, the highest. A low view of the law will not suffice. A low view of the law is one in which a person actually begins to think that he or she has met Yahweh's standard. That's a low view of the law. But it's foolish to think that because Yahweh's standard is absolute perfection from the day that you're born until the day that you die. He is perfect. His law is perfect. And there are zero blemishes in Yahweh. And that means there are zero blemishes in His law. One blemish in us, only one, disqualifies us from meeting His standard. And I can speak for myself today and say that Matthew has a lot more than one blemish. But nonetheless, I hold to a high, perfect, unblemished view of Yahweh's law. I don't believe in the view that says, do your best, which Matthew hasn't done anyway. Or the view that says, try hard and I'll grade you on a curve. I don't buy into that type of theology where Yahweh says, I know I said my law was perfect and I know I said keep all of it, but so long as you just don't physically murder somebody and you don't lie too much, I'll let you into my kingdom. You kept these five and you broke these others. I'll let you in because you only broke four and you kept five. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. James 2 verse 10 says this, For whoever keeps the entire law yet fails in one point is guilty of breaking it all. Now, why does James first say whoever keeps the entire law? It almost seems like that's contradictory to his next statement. A man keeps the entire law, but then James says, yet he fails in one point. And I think what James means here is that there were people then, in his day, and there are still people now, who think that they keep the entire law. I can deceive myself into thinking that if I keep a few external laws, that I've kept the whole law. If I don't eat pork, I keep the Sabbath, and I put tassels on, I've earned my keep. I can deceive myself into thinking that just jumping a few external hoops means that I've met Yahweh's standard. Now, I'm not saying that those external laws shouldn't be kept. They should. We should keep the Sabbath. We should eat clean. We should wear tassels. Those are laws of Yahweh. But those are not the entire law. I told somebody the other day that was talking about keeping the Sabbath. I said, you know, I keep the Sabbath and it's not a problem. It's a joy. It's not a burden. I don't see why anyone wouldn't want to take one day off of work a week. It would get very laborious Laborious might be the way to say it. If you just work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, it'd be very laborious. So Yahweh's Sabbath law is a blessing. I keep the Sabbath. I don't have a problem with that. It's a day where I don't have to do anything. People ask me, Matthew, what do you do on the Sabbath? And I kind of be facetious when I answer them. 
but I'm trying to get him to think. And I look at him and I say, nothing. I don't do anything on the Sabbath. I rest. It's Yahweh's blessing. But where I fall short every day is in loving my neighbor as myself. That's a hard one. The Sabbath one is easy for me. But loving my wife like Christ loved the church, that's a hard one for me. I seek to love my wife as Christ loved the church, but I mess up every day with that. Things like being impatient or being selfish or having unforgiveness in my heart, those are things I struggle with. Not the Sabbath or eating clean. I don't struggle with those. And James' point is to remind us that Yahweh's law is a perfect unit. It's a unit. It's a whole. And if I wake up in the morning and I have a selfish moment in my heart, or I go one day with unforgiveness in my heart towards my wife or towards another brother or sister, I've broken the law. This is what's called a high view of the law. It's not cheap law. It's holy law. I think a lot of times the problem in church is not cheap grace, but cheap law. People have a very low view of the law. This view, this high view of the law, recognizes that we need atonement for our sins. And atonement, I want you to catch this now, atonement, covering over of sin, does not come by trying harder to keep the law. That's not how atonement comes. Although that should be our aim every day. That should be our aim, to try better to keep Yahweh's law. Atonement comes through blood sacrifice. An innocent victim's life being sacrificed in your place. And Brother Leon, as we were talking before the service, that is what this day is about. An innocent victim's sacrifice being done in your place. As Brother Tim read earlier from Leviticus 16, one of the things that stood out to me, and always stands out to me in that reading of the Torah, is the two goats. One of the goats was to be sacrificed, put to death as a sin offering. And Leviticus 16.16 says that the blood from this goat is a purifier of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. Now the other goat that remains alive is also called a sin offering. But it never dies. Leviticus 16.21 says that Aaron, or the high priest, lays his hands, Picture this in your mind. He lays his hands on the head of that goat, that unblemished goat, perfect, complete goat. We're not talking about a three-legged goat. A goat that's got one eye blind is a precious animal, perfect. Aaron lays his hands on the head of that goat and Aaron confesses all the wrongdoings and the rebellious acts of the children of Israel onto that goat. This is Yahweh's law. Verse 22 in Leviticus 16 says that this goat will carry on it all the Israelites' wrongdoings into a desolate land. The HCSB gives us that transliteration, Azazel or Azazel. Some other Bibles, including the Septuagint, will translate that as scapegoat, meaning the one who stands in the place. That is what this day reminds us of. We need atonement. We need our sins to be placed on another 
We need our sins to be covered. We need our breakings of the law to be forgiven. And Yahweh gave the Israelites a way for this to be accomplished. And that way was not by keeping the law. They already didn't do that. Remember they said, all that you've spoken we will do. And they didn't follow through with that promise. We didn't follow through with that promise. Even if at one point only they were guilty of breaking it. Because it was then and it still is an inseparable unit of commandments. And Yahweh's way of atonement was by a sacrifice, an innocent victim. The blood of unblemished bulls, goats, and rams allowed the Israelites to be cleansed in their flesh. It really did. They really did something. It's popular in Christian theology, nominal Christian theology, to believe that the blood of those unblemished animals actually never did anything. When you read the Torah, that's not true. That can't be true. Yahweh's not just wasting space in Leviticus 16. They actually did purify the Israelites' flesh and allowed the Israelites' entrance into the earthly tabernacle. That was purification here on the earth. The blood of these animals did just that. But the blood of these unblemished animals would not accomplish everything. Let's look back at a few verses in our opening text beginning at Hebrews 9, verse 11, where we read, But the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Now I want you to notice that the Messiah is called the high priest here. He's the reality of the Levite high priest that was a shadow of him. He's similar to Aaron in Leviticus 16 in that he is to a high priest. But the difference here is that Yeshua is high priest in the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That doesn't mean that the earthly tabernacle was or is trash. It doesn't mean that. We should not ever feel that way about any of Yahweh's law. And it burns me up to hear people speak of Yahweh's law as though you could stomp on it. I don't like that at all. It does stir up righteous indignation. We should never feel that way about any of Yahweh's law. And I believe that it's likely blasphemous to speak flippantly about the earthly tabernacle. Even the Messiah himself referred to the earthly temple with these words. It is my Father's house. Didn't you know I was in my Father's house? Or he said, you have made my Father's house a den of thieves. He called that earthly building his Father's house. That's what Yeshua said. Luke 2.49 and John 2.16. What the author of Hebrews here in Hebrews 9.11 is saying is that there is a greater, more perfect tabernacle. In other words... The earthly tabernacle is great. It's great. But the heavenly tabernacle is greater. That's the point of the author of Hebrews. Don't miss that, okay? Now, the verse tells us at least one reason why it's greater. That is the heavenly. And that's this. Hebrews 9.11 It's not of this creation. It's not of this creation. It's not made with human hands. 
See, the earthly tabernacle was commanded by Yahweh. It was great, but it was built and it was set in place by the hands of men of Israel. But the heavenly tabernacle was built and set in place by Yahweh and likely His angelic court. But the Messiah, Yeshua, is the high priest, not of the earthly, that's great, but of the heavenly, that's greater. See, Let's keep reading in verse 12. He entered the most holy place once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, when it says that Yeshua entered the most holy place once for all, what is that talking about? Is it saying that He entered that same most holy place that Aaron entered back in Leviticus 16? Remember the once a year place that he would go into? Is that what Hebrews 9.12 is saying? I don't think so. Not at all. The most holy place that the Messiah entered was the most holy place in the heavenly tabernacle. See? The one that the earthly tabernacle was a copy of. And Yeshua only entered it one time. He didn't have to go back and enter it every year on Yom Kippur like the Levite priest on the tenth day of the seventh moon. Yeshua did it once and for all. And Yeshua didn't enter it with the blood of animals. He didn't take those two goats and offer them before the Father. Hebrews 9.12 says, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, the Apostle Peter speaks of this in his first epistle. And this is probably in my top ten favorite verses right here in Peter, I would say. 1 Peter 1, 18-19, Peter says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold. Those things moths can corrupt, thieves can break in and steal. We weren't redeemed with money. Verse 19 is the contrast. But with the precious blood of the Messiah. That's what we were redeemed with. Like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. See, Yeshua is like a lamb without defect because of the fact that He was sinless. That's how He fulfills that shadow. Remember, Yahweh commanded His perfect law be kept perfectly. And the Messiah did that. He met the demands of Yahweh, keeping the law perfectly never sinning, not one time. That boggles my human mind, but that's what the Bible says. Never sinning, not one time. Four or five different places says that. And then he was able to be that perfect antitypical lamb or goat or bull, because he fulfills all of those shadows, and take upon himself our sins just like that unblemished goat took upon himself the sins of Israel when Aaron laid his hands on its head. That's the contrast. That's the parallel, I should say. It is through him or his blood that we obtain eternal redemption, Hebrews 9, verse 12. And also 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 19. Now, let's look at Hebrews 9, 13 through 14. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled 
sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to the Almighty, cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living Almighty? Now, there is the contrast in this verse. Beautiful verse. And the author argues like this. This is how the author of Hebrews, some people believe it was Paul, other people believe it was Barnabas, were not told. And it shouldn't really matter because there's Old Testament books that we don't know who the author is in those. So, but this is what we know. The author argues like this. If this is true, then how much more is this true? That's how he's arguing. This is what he says. If the blood of an unblemished animal or animals sanctified the Israelites according to the purifying of their flesh and allowed them entrance into the earthly tabernacle, if that blood did that, and it did, if we know the Torah, we know that that blood did that, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who offered Himself to Yahweh, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living Almighty? That's the author's argument. If this is true, how much more is this true? If the earthly tabernacle is great, the heavenly one's greater. If the blood of bulls and goats did this, how much more will the blood of the Messiah do this? That's how the author is arguing. Yeshua's blood that was offered in the most holy place in the heavenly tabernacle cleanses our conscience, our inner being, not our outer flesh. Through faith in Him, faith in His blood, we have redemption from our sins and we gain access into the heavenly tabernacle. The tabernacle that we will actually see one day and be able to approach in the final kingdom of Yahweh here on the renewed earth. I look forward to that day. And so we end today's teaching with Hebrews 9 verse 15, the last verse in our opening text. It says this, Therefore, He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Yeshua of Nazareth is the mediator. And the word mediator means a go-between. One who intercedes between two parties who are at variance with one another. And in this case, the other two parties are us, that is, those who have sinned, sinful humanity, sinful Israelites. And the party on this side that we're at variance with is Father Yahweh. And the reason that we don't have peace with Father Yahweh is because we've broken His law, the one He said, keep it. And we said, okay, we will, and then we didn't. Yeshua comes in, He's the mediator, He's the sinless mediator. Remember 1 Timothy 2 verse 5? For there is one mighty one, and one mediator between that one mighty, one mighty one and man, the man, the Messiah Yeshua, or the man, the Christ Yeshua. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. He comes in and he mediates on our behalf, and then we're no longer through faith in him and trust in him and by his blood, we're no longer at variance with Father Yahweh anymore. There's no more hostility there. Before, we are all at variance with Father Yahweh. Why? Because we violate His holy law. Yeshua comes in. He never sins against that holy royal law. Thus, He's unblemished. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 18-19. He takes our place in death at Calvary. 
And that blood that He sheds is applied to the most holy place in the heavenly tabernacle, thereby obtaining eternal redemption. Because of what Yeshua did, we can be at peace with Father Yahweh, and Yahweh accepts His Son in our place, in our stead. It's a vicarious atonement. Similar to how Yahweh accepted those two goats in the place or in the stead of the Israelites so that they could be cleansed in their flesh and allowed entrance into the earthly tabernacle. An innocent victim takes the place of a guilty. It's great. At the end of verse 15, it says, A death has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Notice, notice, notice that Hebrews 9.15 proves that the law has not been done away with. It still calls breaking the law under the first covenant transgressions. But Hebrews 9.15 says, A death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So for that we can be thankful. Well, I asked the question, maybe I got ahead of myself, but I'll ask the question now. Transgressions of what? And it's transgressions of Yahweh's law is what it is. His perfect law. See, the penalty for breaking the law is death. Brother TJ mentioned this in his lesson on Sabbath, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So the penalty for breaking the law is death. And if you believe in the Messiah, and I'm talking about truly, genuinely believe in Him with your heart and your mind, not just with your mouth, but if you truly believe in Him with your heart and mind, that death that the law demands has taken place for you redemption from sin. That death that took place 2,000 years ago when the suffering servant of Yahweh was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the punishment for our peace, or your Bible might say the chastisement of our peace, fell upon Him. What is chastisement? It's discipline, punishment. The punishment for our what? Our peace. Why do we need peace? Because we're at variance with the Father. But the punishment for our peace, the punishment that Matthew should have gotten, that Tim should have gotten, Maureen and Tisha, the punishment we should have got was poured out upon the Son. He was wounded for our transgressions. Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 4 talks about how that when people saw Him being beaten and bruised and spat upon, they thought that He was being punished for His own sins. But the prophet then says in verses 5 through 6, no, it's not His sins He's being punished for. He was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah says. And Isaiah is just a part or a sample of, of Israel. And he's talking to his people. Bruised for our iniquities, chastised for our peace, and by His stripes we are healed. And that's talking about spiritual healing from sin there. By stripes we are healed. And Isaiah speaks of it in Isaiah 53, 5 as though it's already happened. <laughs> By His stripes we are healed. Not we will be, but we are. Why? Because anything Yahweh plans is going to happen. So He speaks of it as though it's already as good as done six or seven hundred years before it ever happens. And Yeshua, Revelation 13, I believe verse 8, says that He is the Lamb who has been slain from the foundation of the earth. 
Not that he died physically from the foundation of the earth, but it was already in Yahweh's plan for it to take place. And so therefore it was going to happen. And then Isaiah says in verse 6 of 53, All we like sheep have gone astray, bad our way out of the pasture. We have turned every one to his own way, but Yahweh hath laid on him, singular, that's the suffering servant, the iniquity, transgression of the law, of us all. And if you do not place your faith in the Messiah's blood, not just with your mouth, like I said, but with your heart, you truly believe in Him, and you accept what He's done for you and taking that blood up to the heavenly tabernacle, the most holy place in the universe. And now I'm getting geared up. No one's day of atonement, but I'm starting to get geared up now. It took me a little while. I'm like a diesel engine today, right? It's taking me a little while to get warmed up. But He took it to that holiest place in the universe, in the galaxies. And He applied it. His own blood. He's the high priest. His blood. We accept that. Then we don't have to undergo that death. But if we reject it, the wrath of Yahweh abides upon us. John 3, the end of John 3. He that believeth upon the Son hath life. He that believeth not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of Yahweh abides upon him. Why does the wrath still abide upon Matthew if he doesn't believe on the Son? Well, the wrath has to abide there because if I don't believe on the Son, then that gift has not been applied to me. See, I don't want Yahweh's wrath on me, brothers and sisters. I want that mediator, that go-between. So this is what the Day of Atonement or the Day of Covering is all about. The fact that Yahweh is holy and His law is holy. The fact that we've sinned against that holy law and we need our sin taken care of. And we have to take care of it the way that Yahweh says to take care of it. Not the way that we decide, but the way that Yahweh says. And in the earthly physical realm, on the earth with the earthly tabernacle, Yahweh said it's taken care of by the standard of Leviticus 16, the unblemished clean animals. But in the heavenly spiritual realm, Yahweh said it's taken care of by the standard of Hebrews 9, the unblemished, perfectly clean Messiah. This is my son. Listen to him. Pay attention to what he says and what he does. That's what this is all about. Hopefully that was a good refresher. Peter says we stir up our minds by way of reminder lest we let these things slip and fall away. Yahweh Father, thank You. Thank You, Father Yahweh. I say with Apostle Paul today, I am what I am by the grace of Yahweh. Father, I pray that we would not use that grace as a license to sin. But that when we do everything that we do for You, that we would still say, it was our duty, we're unworthy servants. I pray, Father, we would be totally refined believers. And Father Yahweh, that You'd keep us in Your grasp. Keep us to believe in Your Son. And how precious His blood is. And how holy His blood is. Yahweh, I love You and I'm so thankful for Your Word. Thank You for a good understanding.
Father, y'all, we thank you for another Yom Kippur. Thank you for atoning for our sins through the blood of your own Son so that we can have eternal redemption, eternal life, life in the age to come. I love you, Father. I love you, Son. Till next time, through Him we pray.